We pray. Almighty God, our Father, your generous goodness comes to us new every day. By the work of your Spirit, lead us to acknowledge your goodness, give thanks for your benefits, and serve you in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Probably goes without saying that Thanksgiving is a, a secular holiday. As Christians, we don't give thanks to our God one day a year. We give thanks to him every single day. And yet as our nation prepares to hit the pause button on all the hustle and bustle and celebrate a day of thankfulness, it makes a lot of sense that we would join them. And of course, as we do that, what often becomes the things that we're thankful for first are the things that we see, the people around us. Just look around you. This is a beautiful place. This is a wonderful place to gather to hear God's word, to praise his name. We recently upgraded the lights so that hopefully you could see better as you follow along and praise your God. Not too long ago, we installed a state-of-the-art sound system so that you can hear the word of God when it is preached to you. There are people in this congregation who made that possible with their time, with their donations. We had members crawling around above the ceiling, pulling wires and connecting things so that this could all be possible. We have craftsmen in this congregation who built this beautiful furniture. We have people who come here and decorate this sanctuary that it may be a beautiful place to to worship our God. You look around you here, you have much to be thankful for, don't we? Tomorrow you may be with the people you want to be with. Perhaps some of us won't be with the people that we'd really like to be with. Tomorrow, you may be in the place that you want to be. Maybe you won't be. The food before you might be exactly the food that you've been wanting to eat. And for others of us, maybe that won't be the case. Maybe you won't be eating the meal that you ate 10, 20, 30 years ago with family. But regardless of where you are, who you're with, or what you're eating, as you look around tomorrow, you will have much, much to be thankful for. Our God provides for the physical needs of his people. He always has. And often he blows us away with his generosity. When God brought his people out of the land of Egypt, he brought them into a place that was not really fit for human life. Not that many human lives. Not millions. And they figured it out pretty quick. And they didn't like where they were. There's a reason God did this. He brought them to a place that was so arid and so dry that they could rely on only one. Him. There was no other way for them to survive. 
other than the manna that he rained down from heaven every morning, the quail that he often provided for them at night, the water that was not fit for drinking until he made it fit for drinking, sweet and thirst-quenching, water even out of a rock. God made it so that his people had no choice but to see that it was their God who provided for their daily sustenance and their God alone. And he actually commanded that they be thankful. And he told them exactly when to be thankful and how to be thankful and exactly what they would do to show their thankfulness to him. He said, here's the days on which you'll be thankful. Here's the things you'll do to show your thankfulness to me. In a sense, he treated them kind of like spiritual children, didn't he? Telling them when and where and how they were to be thankful. God no longer treats his New Testament church this way. He no longer treats us as spiritual children, telling us exactly when to be thankful and how to be thankful, where to be thankful, with whom to be thankful. And yet thankfulness is expected, required of God's people. We hear two portions of God's word connecting the Old Testament with the New. The reading from Leviticus chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. These are the regulations for the fellowship offering a person may present to the Lord. If he offers it as an expression of thankfulness, then along with his thank offering, he is to offer cakes of bread made without yeast and mixed with oil. Wafers made without yeast and spread with oil and cakes of fine flour, well kneaded and mixed with oil. Along with his fellowship offering of thanksgiving, he is to present an offering with cakes of bread made with yeast. He is to bring one of each kind as an offering, a contribution to the Lord. It belongs to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the fellowship offerings. The meat of his fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it is offered. He must leave none of it till morning. Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. This is the word of our God. Let us pray. Lord of the harvest, we thank you for all the earthly blessings which you have showered on us so abundantly. Always keep us in your preserving care. And help us to recognize that all we have comes from you as a gift to be used to your glory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. I've always found it interesting as we live in the culture that we live in that so many people who are not religious in any way find all sorts of things to be thankful for. And yet I wonder, to whom are they thankful It seems they have no object, perhaps other than themselves and the work of their hands. Maybe a father or a mother, a grandfather or a grandmother. 
but outside of themselves. To whom are they thankful? Why is this thankfulness so important? It's clear that humans deep down know we ought to be thankful. This is good. There have been things given to us from outside of ourselves. And yet it's really only Christians who truly understand to whom we are to be thankful. And yet while it's easy to sit on our high thrones and poke our finger at the world around us, it's just as easy for us to look inside our own hearts and see all sorts of examples of times when we are not properly thankful. We know where our gifts come from. They come from the God who created and preserves us. We know where our abilities come from. The God who gave them to us. And yet it's us who also fall into the same trap of looking at what we've accomplished with the strength of our arms. We do well to humbly come before our God and acknowledge all the times that we have fallen into the trap of loving the gifts more than the one who gave them. Of loving the people that God has placed into our lives more than the God who placed those people into our lives. Of giving the gifts and abilities that God has given to our hands, to our minds, more than the one who gave those gifts to our hands, to our minds. Yeah, even the stuff in our homes the stuff in our garages, the money in our bank accounts, more than the God who gave those blessings. The truth is, we have the same problem as a young man who came to Jesus one day wondering, what must I do to be saved? (laughs) You might remember what Jesus said to him, give all the things you have to the poor. And he went away sad because he lacked. He was an idolater. He loved the things, the people, the places in his life more than the God who gave those things. And you and I, sadly, were often right there with that young rich man, falling into the trap of idolatry, breaking the very first of all the commandments. As we listen to these next two readings, we humbly come before our God, acknowledging the reality of idolatry in our life as we hear our God warn us about that very real danger for us all. Our next two readings come from Deuteronomy chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. 
You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you, just as each of us has one body with many members. And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This is the word of our God. We pray. O merciful Lord, we confess to you that we do not always give thanks for the blessings we receive from you. And we do not always acknowledge that all we have is yours. Do not turn us away in shame, O Lord, but forgive us for the sake of Jesus our Savior, who always acknowledged you as his good and gracious Father in heaven. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. As you heard in our last Old Testament lesson, God does not need us to sin to know that it's going to happen. He doesn't need to assess it to understand why it happened. He he knew. He, He knew beforehand. He always knows beforehand. He's known from the beginning. The God who created and sustains all things to this very day is the same God who planned and carried out our salvation. He's the God who promised to Adam and Eve mere moments after they fell into sin that he would send one of their descendants who would crush the head of Satan once and for all. He's the God who promised to Abraham that one of his descendants would be a blessing to every nation on earth. And one of the most crystal clear pictures we have of who that offspring of Eve would be that descendant of Abraham is found in the picture of the great day of atonement, Yom Kippur. When God commanded his people to build a place of worship, first a portable tent, a tabernacle, and then a permanent structure, the temple, one of the most prominent features was a dividing curtain that separated the most holy place, the place where God dwelled, from the holy place. That curtain was like a big sign that read no trespassing to every sinful human being who ever saw it. You could not pass because if you did, you'd be in the presence of a holy God. And sinful, selfish, thankless humans like us cannot stand in the presence of a holy God and live. And so that curtain was there to separate sinners like us from God, except for one day a year, that great day of at one meant. 
When God gave special directions to the high priest and said, this is how you may enter my presence and this is the only way it may happen. The priest washed himself and put on special clothes. He found two goats and they cast lots. One would be set aside and the other would become a sacrifice for the sins of the people. He took a bull and sacrificed it for his own sins. He lit incense to fill that most holy place with sweet-smelling smoke. And then he took the blood of the bull for his own sin and sprinkled it on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, the atonement cover, the place where God and his people were made one again. Then he would take the, the blood of that goat for the sins of the people, and he would also sprinkle the blood of that goat on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And then the sins of the people would be confessed on the head of the goat that was set aside, all their sins, and that goat would be led out into the wilderness in the care of a man appointed to the task. The people would watch that goat wander away and that man would make sure that that goat never wandered back. Because when God forgives, he forgives. When God removes sins, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. They can't get any further away from us. And yet that happened every year. Because those sacrifices were a picture, not a cure. Those sacrifices did not actually take away the sins of the priest. They did not actually take away the sins of the people. They were a picture of how God would remove the sins of his people once and for all. They were a picture of his son, the Lamb of God, who would be sacrificed not over and over, once. The righteous, innocent Lamb of God for sinners like us to remove our guilt forever. Yes, it is true. You and I are not perfectly thankful day after day. This past year, we have tripped and stumbled over ourselves more than we'd like to admit. And yet Jesus' one-time sacrifice, the righteous for the unrighteous, has brought us to God. It has made us at one with him. We don't have a high priest like the high priests back then. We have a high priest who lives forever. We have a high priest whose one-time sacrifice is sufficient, who intercedes for us in the most holy place, in heaven itself, day after day, in will for all eternity. Our last few readings come from the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, from the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapters 7 and 9. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out. 
having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, And then for the sins of the people, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. This is the word of our God. We pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace in confidence, praying boldly because Jesus has brought us to complete forgiveness and made us at one with you. We praise and thank you eternally for all the spiritual blessings which you bestow on your faithful people, which flow first and foremost from the grace you gave through Christ. May we always give thanks to you for our spiritual blessings and never take them for granted. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen.